0: Hi everyone, and welcome to Remaking Tomorrow, a series of conversations about the future of teaching and learning. I'm Ryan Radzeski, here with Greg Baer, and we're the co-authors of When You Wonder You're Learning, Mr. Rogers' Enduring Lessons for Raising Creative, Curious, Caring Kids. This is a podcast powered by
1: Remake Learning, a network that ignites engaging, relevant, and equitable learning in support of young
0: people navigating rapid social and technological change. On today's episode, we're talking with Bill Strickland, founder of the Manchester Craftsman's Guild, an after-school art center he started in 1968. For more than 50 years, Bill led the center from a row house in Pittsburgh's Manchester neighborhood to a world-class facility and international acclaim. In Pittsburgh alone, the Guild provides academics, ceramics, photography, and other art classes for nearly 4,000 young people a year, and its affiliates serve youth across the United States and as far afield as Israel. Along the way, Bill launched a Grammy Award-winning jazz program, assumed leadership of the Bidwell Training Center, and became a MacArthur Fellow, a White House honoree, and the author of Make the Impossible Possible, One Man's Crusade to Inspire Others to Dream Bigger and Achieve the Extraordinary. Bill stepped down as Manchester Bidwell's president in 2018 and now serves as executive chair. Bill Strickland, welcome to Remaking Tomorrow.
2: Thank you.
1: Bill, if you could see me, I'm both sitting comfortably because I'm with a friend, and also completely nervous because it's a friend whom I consider a hero simultaneously. It's just a joy to have you here. So Bill, take us back, if you would, to the year 1968. It's a year that has drawn some comparisons to our present moment. At that time, you're an undergraduate at the University of Pittsburgh, and you come across a rundown row house in the city of Pittsburgh's north side. And you decide to move in, basically living out of a sleeping bag, and you turn that place into a ceramic studio for the neighborhood. How on earth did that happen? What's going on in the world? What's going on in Pittsburgh that led you to that point?
2: Well, the riots were happening. The city was on fire, a lot of violence, a lot of insurrection, a lot of political assassinations, et cetera. And I wanted to do something to address that based on my experience as a high school student with a fellow named Frank Ross, who happened to be the art teacher in our school. I got very excited about clay. I got pretty good at it. And so I came to the conclusion that it did not make sense to destroy the very community that I lived in and was trying to rebuild, that there must be a better way. And so what I decided to do was to take over not just an abandoned row house, it was a drug-infested row house and we literally had to move out drug offenders from the facility clean it out and rebuilt it almost from scratch and so i thought i have skills i have a vision and i have an obvious need based on the neighborhood where i was living and so i thought what i experienced in mr ross's classroom might be transferable to the neighborhood where i lived that clay and sunlight and music was the cure for cancer of the human spirit. And that was the insight and the motivation that propelled me to take that chance.
0: Bill, can you tell us a bit more about Frank Ross? I know he's someone who is very important in your life. Can you tell us how did you come to know him and what did your relationship with Mr. Ross teach you about yourself?
2: Well, the literal way I met Frank was walking down the corridor of our high school and the art room door was open and the school happened to have a potter's wheel and he happened to be sitting at the potter's wheel and he made this great big old bowl and I was standing at the front door of the art room and he turned around and says, could I help you? And I says, what is that? He said, that's ceramics. I says, "Why well, I not you to teach me how to do that. He said, well, get your homeroom teacher to sign a piece of paper and says, you can come here and you're good to go. So for the remaining two years of high school, I cut all my classes except English, where I studied Shakespeare and hung out in the ceramic studio with Frank Ross. And that mentorship imparted to me a vision of how life could be. And it also offered me an opportunity to get out of the dark hole I was in, mainly my neighborhood, and reach out to a place in which there was light and therefore hope. But I figured out the cure for my own spiritual depression because the work I have elected to do is to try to recapture the flame that we're all born with. But unfortunately, in many of the students I work with, that flame has been diminished. And so I've taken it up as my cause to rekindle that flame so that people can experience the magic that I experienced with Frank Ross. Those opportunities are available to everyone on the planet, period.
1: So you take that vision, Bill, and you open the Manchester Craftsman's Guild and you lead it and grow it into one of the most successful community art centers on the planet. That's not even enough. It's it's a center (laughs) where humans can flourish. There's a magic to entering that place every time I get to be there. So tell us what makes the center such a special place? What do kids and adults see when they come through the doors and what do they do and what do they experience?
2: Well, they experience hope, which happens to be in very short supply in the neighborhoods where most of these kids live. And so what I was able to do was to craft an environment that said that life is worth living. And the amenities matter. The environment, the flowers. We have a million-dollar kitchen. We serve gourmet food to the students literally every day. And we believe that the food is not just for your stomach but it's also for your spirit and what i got good at was replicating the environment that frank ross created in his classroom and i took that experience and translated that into an arts training center in the middle of a black neighborhood with a high reputation for crime and that is the story that i have been living literally since 1968.
0: Bill, the center offers classes in ceramics and photography and digital design. It also houses a jazz program. And as Greg alluded to, there's art on the walls. There's beautiful music everywhere. Why the arts? Why this focus on art and creativity? What's unique about that and its effect on children and human beings?
2: Art is about hope. And one of the things that's missing for many of the students who come here is hope they live in a place that is not attractive, they live in a place that's not aspirational. And I figured out that environment drives behavior. Beautiful environments create beautiful people, prisons create prisoners. So I decided to create an emotional opportunity for people to incorporate sunlight into their vocabulary and also literally incorporate music into their vocabulary as reflected in our jazz program that has now won us five Grammy Awards for one of the most important record companies on the planet in the neighborhood of Manchester on Pittsburgh's north side.
1: Bill, you just used this phrase a moment ago, environment drives behavior. Yes, sir. We quote and cite you all the time It's such a powerful sensibility and we see in schools and museums and libraries and other early learning centers and sites of learning that people are beginning to appreciate the importance of that physical environment, about how environment drives behavior. Can you talk about not only the young people or adults who come to classes or training programs at the Manchester Craftsman's Guild, how that sensibility affects them, but you get visitors from around the world. What are the aha moments that you see for them as they come into the Manchester Craftsman's Guild and experience that sensibility, that environment drives behavior?
2: Well, they come here, in many cases, expecting to see an inner-city poverty program. And what they see is a replication of Frank Lloyd Wright's very famous house called Falling Water. We've got a fountain in the courtyard, gourmet food in the kitchen world-class jazz studio, ceramic studio, photography studio, and people are saying, I walked in this place with my head down, and two hours later, I got my head up. I'm starting to feel like life is worth living. And what I say is, bingo, you got it. You got the brass ring, that we are in the business of manufacturing hope, and hope is the cure for cancer of the human spirit.
0: Bill, you just mentioned Frank Lloyd Wright's Falling Water, which uh, for our listeners who aren't familiar, is a very famous house just outside of Pittsburgh. Can you tell us about visiting Falling Water for the first time? What was it about the environment at Falling Water that you wanted to replicate in Manchester?
2: Well, the first thing was Falling Water had a fountain, a creek running down through the house. And the first thing I did was think, wait a minute, in my neighborhood, we spend time trying to keep the water out of house, And here's this guy's got a creek running right down through the house. I said, that's a very interesting way of looking at water. And so what I did was I incorporated that water element in the literal philosophy of the center, because water cleanses the soul, darkness and light are directly associated in the work that we do, etc. And so those elements become the strategy, the focal point for a vision of how to live a successful life.
1: We have a colleague who says all the time, how are young people made to feel more or less human by the environments that we create for them, the environments in which we teach for them, the environments in which we care for them? You support humans in some dramatically wonderful ways. And the Center has yielded extraordinary results over the years. Oh, yeah. This is Greg Baer along with Ryan Ridzeski. We're talking with Bill Strickland, founder of the Manchester Craftsman's Guild, and the author of Make the Impossible Possible, One Man's Crusade to Inspire Others to Dream Bigger and Achieve the Extraordinary. So can you tell us about some of the center successes, and then maybe also a colorful story of a student or two that you point to and say, that's why my work matters.
2: Thank you for asking that. One of our alumni, his name is Dr. Sharif Bey. He started with us as a Pittsburgh public school kid in clay, ceramics. He got very good at it, won a scholarship to Slippery Rock University, won a master's degree, and then got an advanced degree from Syracuse, where he serves now as associate professor in ceramics and has gotten a PhD for his efforts as well. So he has more degrees than anybody on the faculty at Manchester Craftsman's Guild. And this was a kid who came from a tough inner city neighborhood in Pittsburgh called Bell Suver. And he has now got a show at the Carnegie Museum, and it is being presented as one of the master work opportunities for Dr. Sharif Bey. A second student is going to Carnegie Mellon. Young Jason has come out of our ceramics program again, but he's also working with Carnegie Mellon to develop the intersection between horticulture and agriculture. We are very excited about him. He's going to get a full scholarship and we think that he may develop some creative technology here at the school and this may become a social enterprise.
1: And Bill, those examples play out for thousands of people who've come to your location on the north side of Pittsburgh, but it's also true that the Manchester Craftsmen's Guild has affiliates across the country even across the world. Correct. So tell us a little bit about your global takeover.
2: (laughs) Well, one center at a time is the strategy. So right now we've got 20 centers in operation, 10 now open and operating in the US, and it's turning out to be quite a strategy. We have a center now open in Israel for Palestinians, Arabs, and also for Jews. And we built this thing about six years ago. It's thriving. It's also full of sunlight, a fountain, music, and good food. At the opening, which was a brilliant demonstration of the power of gourmet food, we had Arab children and Jewish children eating together and socializing together in an unexpected outcome their parents started to develop social networks across racial and ethnic lines, as sure as I'm talking on this program. Shimon Perez, uh, who never lived to come and visit the center, he had intended to, but I met him and he said, Bill, you've got it figured out. Don't go left or right, go straight. You've got it dialed in. And he had planned to come to the opening, but God had other plans.
1: Bill, you know that Ryan and I have co-authored a book in which we try and unpack the lessons that Fred Rogers left for us, his blueprints for learning. In fact, you're part of that book itself. And you have a special connection to Fred Rogers that dates back to the very beginnings of your work. Can you tell us a little bit about your connections to Fred Rogers? Because I think of you as the forerunner of people employing the Fred method anywhere in the world.
2: I got invited to Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. I was one of the first 10 shows. And I think Yo-Yo Ma was in that group as well. And I went on The Neighborhood. My hair was uh, in an afro. I weighed about 100 pounds, I think, because I was impassioned with working on clay and not impassioned on taking care of myself. But I was a child of the 60s. I got invited to The Neighborhood, and Johnny Costa, who was a very famous piano player accompanied me on the show we did a duet i made pottery he played music jazz that piano by the way is now at the manchester craftsman's guild and joanne rogers wanted it to be residing here at manchester craftsman's guild the other thing is we went back and looked at the original show and fred rogers said someday i have to come and visit the center in the neighborhood And the second show is Fred Rogers came to Manchester Craftsman's Guild and I taught him how to make pottery in much the same way that I did on that first show. And so Fred Rogers predicted that based on what he saw on that first show, that my vision and my energy would somehow translate into a world-class training center in the middle of an inner city neighborhood. That was Fred's vision and my energy, and a lot of luck.
0: For our listeners who are Fred fanatics like Reg and I, that episode where he visits the Manchester Craftsman's Guild is episode 1644. It's readily available online. Just one last question about Fred, Bill, or maybe two questions. What is it that you'd say you learned from Fred? And are there things that you
2: think Fred might have learned from you? Fred learned from me... The absolute determination to manufacture hope. Fred was able to speak about it in the TV shows. I translated that into physical environments, brick by brick, that had all the elements of Mr. Rogers spirit in those buildings. So Fred, I think, was fascinated with my refusal to give up on hope.
0: Bill, how can people find out more about you and the work you're doing? Come over and visit the place.
2: (laughs) we got the key to the door and there's no mortgage, so we'll be open when you get here.
1: And Bill, I want our listeners to know, too, that they can go to mcgyouthandarts.org as well as manchesterbidwell.org to learn more about the extraordinary work that you and your colleagues do. Before we go, just one more question. What's one thing that parents and educators can do today to make tomorrow a more promising place for every learner?
2: You have to discipline yourself to not be despondent. Despondency in the work I'm in is a luxury that I cannot afford. Parents need to find hope and manufacture it in everything they do, in every way that they do, because if you're lucky enough to have brought children into the world, you are their mentors by definition. And by the way, it's a life sentence. If you make that commitment, you have to see it through. And when I was with His Holiness, the Dalai Lama, right before the pandemic, I recommitted myself to that journey with His Holiness. And He said, you and I are on the same journey. I may be a couple of steps ahead of you, but I consider myself a lifelong friend of yours.
0: Thanks again to Bill Strickland, founder of the Manchester Craftsman's Guild, author of Make the Impossible Possible, and a manufacturer of hope.
2: Remaking Tomorrow is powered by Remake Learning a Pittsburgh-based network of people and organizations that ignite engaging, relevant, and equitable learning practices in support of young people navigating rapid social and technological change. Learn more at remakelearning.org tomorrow.